What's going on, everybody? Mike O back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. Excited to be joined today by the one, the only, Filmington. Phil, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Mike? Thanks for having me. As always, always a pleasure to have you. And we got a lot of stuff going on. Not a lot on the field on baseball, but a lot of releases, a lot of stuff coming up, and we're going to chat a little bit about the world of baseball today. We'll talk about the upcoming release of 2022 Top Series 1, the state of baseball cards in the hobby right now, maybe some bounce-back candidates for 2022, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Juan Soto. Of course, there is a lockout going on right now, and we're going to have to see what goes on with that. Are prospects to play? Who knows? But Phil, before we get started, Rookie Card Explosion Box, one of the things that you're best known for, and you've kind of expanded on that a little bit, so you want to take a minute to uh, speak about some of your products available? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I don't often get a chance to do a shameless plug, especially on other people's channels, even not to mention my own, the RCEB on the uh, the non-RCEB videos that I do. But uh, yeah, so I've been doing this for over three years now. It's something that my customers really enjoy. I've got a really high retention rate. Um, I'm only losing between usually between one to two percent of subscribers each month. Um, and I issued a survey towards the end of last year trying to get a feel as to if there'd be a de- if there'd be demand for an additional product. And it seemed that people really were digging the high end stuff and uh, potentially um, were interested in a, in a whole new offering. So what I've done is I've created a couple new products that I'm sort of piloting right now. Um, they have been very successful so far, and those are a uh, high-end baseball rookie card explosion box as well as a football rookie card explosion box. So probably as soon as March, I'll make the high-end baseball box um, that I put together starting in January. Yeah, in, in March, I'll probably start to offer it as a subscription, a recurring subscription, and um, I might allow some existing subscribers to the original baseball box to be able to get a boost and be able to kind of upgrade and get out of the normal box into the high-end box. But yeah, um, really exciting. And um, it gives me another reason to kind of watch people's videos and see some really high upside um, potential with some of these more high-end products. In March, we're actually gonna be featuring a 2011 Topps product that does feature the possibility of a Mike Trout rookie. So excited to, to get people's reaction on that one. And people seem to pull some really good stuff out of the uh, RC explosion boxes. You know, not necessarily everyone. Sometimes your best pulls a Lee Smith rookie, but, you know, some people uh, some people hit some crazy stuff. So it's, uh, it's fun, I think, for people in the community as well to follow it and see what people break because a lot of the products are – not products you see broken on camera very often, of course. With the times, people are going to be breaking a lot of retail boxes, and you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. You know, We're about to have an explosion of 2022 Top Series 1 box breaks uh, on YouTube, and of course you'll get whatever products follow, baseball-wise, basketball. So it's, it's nice to see that variety in the community, and it's a great way for people to affordably take a shot at breaking some products that, you know, typically you're not going to spend four or $500 on some of these boxes to break. So look forward to uh, seeing how people fare. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, actually it was interesting to see 
and something you don't see every day is like a 2000 football product being opened with the possibility of a Brady rookie. And I was able to feature that as part of the volume two football box. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, one of the nice things I can do because I don't purchase from distributors or tops directly is I can kind of be pretty flexible with the years and products that I include. So that's something I definitely try to do uh, within releases across release releases month to month include different years of, of products that you certainly don't see opened like a 2013 tops Chrome um, or even some stuff that's uh, more than 10 years old. For sure. So we have a lot of things to get to. And one of them that we are not going to be able to ignore, of course, because as it's likely to have a direct effect on the hobby itself is the lockout owner's lockout of the players in Major League Baseball still ongoing here in the first week of February. I don't know what to expect. I don't know if you have a gut feeling on it. I mean, I kind of have felt all along that they would eventually get something completed, but it was going to drag out. Now, it's flown under the radar, I think, in the hobby for quite a while because people are just distracted by an exciting NFL season and, of course, the NFL postseason and NBA. So baseball's in the background regardless. But we're getting to the point, generally speaking, from what I've seen in past years, in previous years, baseball starts to get really hyped up starting the week after the Super Bowl. And that lines up with pitchers and catchers reporting the spring training. That's when the market starts moving. People start getting energized. They start turning the page, looking at baseball, thinking about baseball, purchasing baseball. And then, you know, it's kind of further as players and teams start playing games in spring training. There's a lot of optimism and it it really helps the overall baseball market. You know, everyone kind of looks at the positive aspects of their favorite team, their favorite players, guys they collect, guys they are looking to collect. And now that we're ready to reach that point and the lockout's still going, have you seen an effect on the hobby yet? Or do you think we, we still haven't seen it? Because it's starting to become the lockout I feel like it's starting to get noticed a little more. We're having a more news, not not really news, but news reports of owners, you know, trying to do this or that. And now players are speaking out. So it feels like it's getting a little nasty, but I don't know if that's good for negotiation purposes or is that something that's going to linger? I know it's kind of a loaded question and I just threw out a lot of thoughts there, but you have any uh, specific thoughts on this entire situation? Yeah, yeah, I think I have a bunch here. Um, First of all, I think we as a hobby and we as just baseball fans in general largely underestimated a long, drawn-out holdout from the start. I mean, this is baseball probably between the owners and the players probably have one of the most unhealthy relationships across all major sports. And those relationships have deteriorated over the years. And the stuff that's on the table is some pretty serious stuff. You've got revenue sharing along with tons of other minor things to dispute. Now, you know, us as bystanders or as fans, we're not going to be able to see what's exactly going on. A lot of that is just tight lipped. You know, Manfred can, can seek recourse on anybody that kind of spills this onto Twitter. So they want to keep it kind of hush hush. And the fact that kind of Manfred has the ability to do that, he's able to kind of control the narrative a little bit better and do a little bit of like, you know, blaming and victimizing and 
finger pointing at the players and, you know, he's able to kind of sugarcoat what's going on a little bit and kind of control that narrative. And which is, which is kind of unfortunate because if this was completely open to the public, maybe this would be handled a little bit differently. But right now you've got two large groups of people. One is more powerful than the other being the owners. They have more money. They have less on the line. If the season isn't played, they have more revenue. They don't have to worry about sacrificing a year of their prime. That's completely lost. I mean, we're not talking about football here where the players have, you know, they're going to peak for three to five years and be out of the league after seven or eight years, you know, for the, the non-QB players, which happens a lot. But, I mean, a lot of these guys, they're dependent on their income. I think if you look at the Baltimore Orioles, they only have a couple players that are making more than five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000 a year. Um, so it's unfortunate. And then you've got the hobby, which is um, sometimes I question, like, do these people actually watch baseball? Do they understand what's going on? Are they ignorant to the situation? Because to answer part of your question, I don't think any of what's going on is affecting current values of players modern players prospects or vintage players and maybe it shouldn't affect vintage players values but i don't think there's an effect on hobby values at all and maybe that this is part of the hobby kind of acting somewhat irrationally um with regards to like we saw what happened with basketball with like you know there was a long pause and games weren't being played during covid and then prices kept on going up and going up just because of anticipation for those games to come. So with, with, with the COVID season, with 2020, um, we kind of saw something similar and prices dipped a little bit in March, but then they started coming up, not just because of anticipation for a season, there were a number of other factors. And I think, you know, there was a dip in prospects because I think once people realized that there wouldn't be a minor league season played at all, I think those dipped, but, you know, it wasn't really, some of the players didn't fall to the extent that I expected them to fall. And maybe the prospects didn't just fall because there wouldn't be a minor league season. Maybe it's because those are the most volatile players. And that's what happens in a market. You know, when there's a downturn, the most volatile stocks tend to get affected the most. So at some point I would think that once people realize that, as you said, you know, it would take a miraculous event for spring training to start on schedule. And based on the tone of Passan, a reporter from ESPN, based on what he's displaying on Twitter, you can tell that he's getting really frustrated inside. And to me, I think that there's a bigger picture. There's, some, there's stuff that he can't share that he's privy to that isn't good for the possibility of the regular season starting on time. So that, that's frustrating to me. It's frustrating to you in 2020 with the COVID season. A lot of people forget, but they could have actually played sooner if the two sides agreed earlier on some matters that were actually pretty mundane looking back on it you know the um the length of the playoff format how many teams would be included the universal dh um and a number of other things and granted revenue sharing was was part of that um i get really frustrated because as somebody who really appreciates the sport of baseball like you i don't know for sure the more I think about this, if hobby values will be affected at all in the short term from, say, a shortened season. But I do know that there will be more long-term destruction caused by the sport if the two sides don't agree and play a full season. I think fans are getting fed up, and I think this is something that will inevitably hurt the sport 
for the long term. So I don't know how that'll trickle down and affect the hobby, especially short-term values. It might not at all. Um, it might not at all. But uh, the, the sport of baseball, it's in trouble. And unlike some of these other sports that are gaining in popularity, basketball certainly growing globally. Football is seems like it's as strong as it's ever been in the U.S. Hockey has its place. Soccer, you know, in, in the U.S. seems to be growing very slowly with interest. And you've got baseball, which by any metric, if you're able to compare apples to apples over the last five to 10 years, you know, you can't look at streaming metrics because that's something that's completely new. You can only really look at a few years worth of data. Um, but attendance, viewership, TV viewership, I mean, that's just, it's, it's just not very good. Um, it seems to be one to 2% interest in, interest in baseball is just declining each year. And you can tell based on the massive amounts of rule changes, they're doing what they can to keep the game shorter. But no matter what they do with the rule changes, and doesn't matter what they do with the baseball, whether it's something they make it more advantageous to hitters or pitchers in any given year, doesn't matter if there's more offense or less offense, the games are getting longer. The games are getting longer regardless. And we're moving away from a sport which appealed to me more in the traditional sense with some of the original rules back 15, 20 years ago. Um, so you're, you're not attracting new people, you're not attracting kids, and you're pissing off some of the traditionalists like myself, like you, like many others that have appreciated the sport for what it once was, and it's getting away from that, and it's not markedly improving. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated with all this. I know it's sort of a, a long roundabout answer. Um, I don't think the hobby's affected now. I don't know if it, it will be affected this year, but... If there's a long term, if there's long term damage to the sport, that can't be good for the hobby in the long run. I mean, I would think there will be some effect on the modern market in some way, shape, or form if and when um, they start missing games. I just I can't see it not now. I don't know. I know there will be a spring training. It will just be non roster. It's no one in the you know, active players association will be able to participate, but there will be prospects. So does that mean prospects are highlighted guys are, there's good reports of, you know, a couple of top level prospects performing very well, looking good. Cause all it takes is that hearsay really to promote stuff. Does that elevate the prospect market? Um, is there damage to the modern player market? I don't know. Is there, do a certain percentage of people turn to vintage cards and you know it only takes so much so many new people buying up vintage to see that market elevate so there could be i think there could be some market movement but like you did mention there are a lot of people involved in the hobby itself who don't necessarily seem to actively follow the sport um and you can say this for every sport uh, let alone actually watch the games. So I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see. But the lockout is a serious matter. This is something, I, I mean, it's really been on my mind the last like three, four years. We kind of knew that a strike or a lockout was probably inevitable. And we did see with the way 2020, as you mentioned, went down. Um, and it's suddenly the 2020 season does feel like a distant memory, but there was a lot of labor dispute there, and like you said, they easily could have played an 80-game season or even a 100-game season if they got their act together much quicker. It was drawn out, drawn out, and 
you saw a little bit of what you're seeing now. You know, the owners making a statement, then the players, all the players unified, and they were all posting, like, the same stuff. I can't remember what the hashtag was um, in 2020, whatever it was. But then the owners came back, and the players didn't like that, and it was like they're kind of just trying to – I don't know what their goal is. Other, They're obviously trying to sway public interest, like, on their side or – one way or the other, but it doesn't work because no one wants to hear the millionaires and the billionaires fighting. And baseball fans just want to see their teams playing baseball. They want to see a full season. You know, you had, it's tough for career numbers. 2020, there's a lot of guys who lost a hundred games of, uh, on the field that year for career numbers. And you don't want to see that again. If you're someone who is looking at career milestones. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you need interest. Like you need to build interest. You need to build new fans. You can't afford to lose fans. And that's the fine line they're playing with right now. Right. Yeah. I, I was asked about this on a different channel a few weeks ago. And I, I just think about like the broader issue with society of billionaires being more and more hated each year. And this would just come down to that again, I think, even though they're fighting with millionaires and you could argue that baseball players overall are paid pretty fairly, especially relative to other sports, given, you know, their sacrifices and the toll on their bodies and that a lot of the money is guaranteed. Right. But, but still this comes down to billionaires, the top 1% of the top 1% just exploiting their situation like they do elsewhere avoiding capital gains tax, et cetera, et cetera, taking advantage of regulations. And uh, so, I mean, I, if, if the market, if the sports card participants, hobby participants would act rationally, they would see, they would look at 2020 and be like, okay, this wasn't a non-factor with 2020 minor leagues, not playing really set, a lot of these prospects back with regards to development. So they were coming up struggling in 2021, hitting a buck 90 like Jaron Duran did. Speaking of, you know, 2022 series one checklist and some of the rookies that are in it. But this time, the the, the minor leagues, I don't think will be affected, but still, um, and you alluded to this, you've got players, counting stats still matter. War still matters. Now, one argument is, well, it's all relative, right? So everybody's going to be disadvantaged the same, but I, I mean, you can't just assume that Mike Trout would have had a great year this year. And maybe when he comes back at age 32 in year 2023, if assuming a season isn't played this year, maybe that's when the decline starts, like it does for many power hitters when they hit 32, 33 years of age. Uh, Ronald Acuna, you know, if you look at the total number of plate appearances he's had over the last few years, it's, very, it's not very many at all. And when he, when he starts playing next, next year, he's going to be 25 years old. So, you know, you can't, you can't just assume that these guys would have excelled and done very well and avoided injuries. Um, Fernando Tatis, he has a chance to improve his defense this year. Is that something that he's going to be able to do? Well, we won't be able to know. So it's just unfortunate. It really is. Then you look at all the, the minor leaguers that would have been able to be called up at age, you know, 20, 21, 22, now that they get pushed back. Um, it's not, it's not something to see. And even though we've moved away from tracking milestones as much as we used to, like the 400 home runs, the 500 home runs, now it's more about war. Well, guess what? War is also a cumulative stat. You know, that's measured across your entire career. Sure, 
it's measured on a season by season basis too. Uh, but um, the career war is ultimately what, what, what gets looked at in front of the, the writers when they make their decisions and who they vote for, for the hall of fame. Well, hopefully this all becomes a non-factor and agreement is made soon. That might be an optimistic take. I, that's why I said hopeful, uh, not necessarily what you'd bet on or necessarily expect, but we'll see. Spring training scheduled to start pitchers and catchers in another week or so, and we'll see. That's all I can say. There'll be prospects there. There will be teams and players working out, but it's not going to be the guys that most people are looking for. So we'll just have to uh, take that wait-and-see approach and just hope for the best. You would hope that each side would kind of find a way to compromise enough to say, hey, we can't afford this, neither side can, let's just get something worked out. So, also happening in a week is the release, the beginning of a new baseball card season, 2022 Tops Series 1. It's a release that uh, we're waiting for. We have borders, we have uh, a ton of inserts, we have... You know, a bunch of color parallels, pretty much similar stuff that we see year after year. Of course, there'll be new parallels and such. I'm sure production will be very high. But people are excited for it. The number one collected set in baseball every year is your top's flagship. I know people look forward to it. Series 1 gets promoted fairly well. They'll always promote it on some of the morning talk shows. They'll promote it on MLB Network. Now, I don't know if that stuff will happen this year because I know MLB Network, they're not discussing or showing anything on current players. But it's one of those things that is a yearly tradition. People opening their first pack of 2022 tops or whatever year it is. And you even have people who don't normally open wax. They'll buy a blaster or two. So it's a pretty hyped uh, product year after year. Any initial thoughts on it, Phil? Because obviously we know there's one big rookie card in it. Now some might not consider it a rookie, but I think the masses will. 2022 Top Series 1 releasing on February 16th. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, well, (laughs) um, for people like us that actually do watch the games, ideally, you know, spring training would be going on uh, concurrently or at least pitchers and catchers would first start to report, as I know that sometimes Series 1 is is released a little bit earlier in, in, in February and perhaps late January. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited for the product. Um, and I know they're going to print a ton of it like they usually do. Expect to see more of Series 1 than Series 2. Um, don't forget about the complete sets, too. So don't go, don't go nuts on um, collecting base cards or overpaying for them, especially a week or two after release. But yeah, I mean, uh, we we've been um, we've been bereft of strong rookie classes for a while, probably since 2019. I mean, can you argue 2020 with Series One, Jordan Alvarez and Lux looked very bright, uh, along with Bo Bichette. But this, you know, Wander Franco does have the ability to carry a product by himself, um, which in uh, albeit in a in a short time period, Jared Kellenick hasn't been able to do based on some of his performance that he showed um, another guy that was kind of probably held back a little bit with, with COVID and with the lack of development. But yeah, I mean, Wander Franco, he had a, a pretty good season 
and he had a great postseason. I think that's what a lot of people remember. Some of the easy swings he took um, against the Red Sox at Fenway, uh, where he was able to hit a couple of home runs. And um, and hopefully he's able to pick things up this year because, I mean, he still has to produce on the field if there is a season in order to kind of sustain his current level of hype and values. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, so we talked about the, the checklist aside from him. There's not really a whole lot. They could have, in theory, included O'Neill Cruz from the Pirates, who's a top, I believe, 15 prospect based on at least Baseball America. Maybe I think a lot of people said that he was probably a little bit um, too high in that list. He should have been maybe closer to the to the 20 range, 25 range. But uh, he will not be included in the Series 1 checklist. Um, but there are uh, a few other guys like Jaron Duran and Videl Brujan, who did not do very well in their first foray in the majors in 2021 but they will be on that checklist too. Really, it's all about Wander for me. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm excited for a change, getting the full border back. I'm excited to see what the uh, the parallels look like. Um, I apologize if those are already available on um, Cardboard Connection. I just haven't seen them yet. You know, how much of that card is going to be gold for the gold parallels? What do the black parallels look like? What do the Independence Day parallels look like? Not really a huge Memorial Day or Father's or Mother's Day guy, but Interesting to see um, what types of other parallels will be there too. The short prints, uh, they seem to be getting more and more creative. I first started to notice it with some of the stuff they did with Luis Robert. Of course, he was featured in multiple flagship sets with rookie image variations. And um, I'm excited to see what they do with Wander and if they carry him out also for uh, maybe update. He's got a few more um, parallels. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, from an investment perspective or from like a... I mean, it's cool to open up one box and pay a little bit extra if you have to for that box, but I didn't pre-order any. Uh, once I started to see prices for regular hobby boxes go beyond 120, um, I, uh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a few weeks before I buy like, you know, a case, case and a half for the rookie card explosion box. Um, I'm not, I, I probably won't be able to feature it for this month's product. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picking up some at some point. And uh, jumbo boxes are always fun because you get more goodies inside of it, right? You get the guaranteed autograph, the two, usually two relics, and then two silver packs versus one. But I might just go regular hobby, um, especially, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but especially seeing over the last three, four years, kind of what happens to that ratio of the regular hobby to the jumbo. Usually it, it, the, the gap closes over time and it won't sell for nearly 2x. It'll be closer to, to 1.5 or 1.25x, the regular hobby. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how things break down and how people do. And I'll certainly be breaking some of it. Uh, Wanderer Bust looks like the most likely scenario with this product. But again, you never know. You really don't, especially in today's hobby world. And pending a season, you know, it, it only really takes a couple big weeks for a player to kind of break out and people start chasing their stuff and players develop. Some guys do develop late. That does happen. Is that generally the likely scenario? Of course not, but you have guys like Edgar Martinez or even Mariano Rivera, guys who are kind of irrelevant in the hobby for years. And even in their career wise, if you looked at them at age 25, 26, you would never think that player would be a hall of fame player and they develop late and they end up getting there. And, eventually have big time hobby love, but we're not looking at this product for 20, 30 years down the road. Initially though, I think it will be hyped up. It'll get a lot of attention. Wander Franco, it, 
what have you done for me lately with his performance last year with the hype going into the season uh, with the fact that he was on display uh, to a national audience in the postseason I do think helps um, but you're right the rookie checklist is there's not really anyone else who jumps off uh, the page at you you got some guys who at least got some playing time like Brandon Marsh or the Angels and uh, Gavin Sheets I know he was playing a lot of first base last year for Chicago so we'll have to see how kind of people chase some of these cards or is it all Franco but there will be plenty of Wander Franco in this product for collectors uh, he has his base rookie card a card number 215 he also has a combo card which I'm sure will be much less desirable but I'm sure people will try and hype up and looking at the inserts all the different inserts and sets and autographs and stuff there are about close to 30 Wander Franco cards in this set and that doesn't include all the parallels so there will be a lot of Franco stuff to chase so if you can get in a Tampa Bay Rays uh, break at a very cheap price you'd probably be able to do all right he is a pile of autographs he's in the silver pack so there will be a lot of Franco stuff but series one like you mentioned Listen, they make a lot of it. They make a lot of retail. They make a lot of hobby. They will be in, released in complete sets later in the year. And uh, in the past, they would actually make team sets as well. They did not do that last year. So I don't know if that's something that will be back on the table this year or not. But there will be plenty of the base cards for sure. Um, but the trend lately in the hobby, and a lot of people are pushing it, is to chase the rare stuff chase the parallels so i would think there'll be a lot of people looking at the gold parallels and some of the other parallels you mentioned i mean you have like the clear ones numbered to 10 they're incredibly difficult to pull in a product like this so i'm sure anyone who hits the franco and you know one of those cards numbered to 10 you know, you'll do very well but good luck with that Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if there's any influence yet from fanatics, you know, with the acquisition of tops, like this, this would be the type of product. A lot of people presume that they'll take the lower end products and print more of them in order to, you know, increase availability. So it'll be interesting to see, obviously we won't know what's happening beyond the scenes and what's like the motivation for it. And usually the series one print run does increase, you know, between 10 to 35% each year, it seems. Uh, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of this they print, especially in retail form, and uh, really trying to milk that that Wander Franco inclusion for sure. Yeah, and I don't think there'll be anything any influence like product based from Fanatics because it officially happened not that long ago. But I could see a positive amount of promotion from Fanatics for sure. They're obviously going to want to see the product do well, so I could see them promoting it, selling it on their site, stuff like that. So it'll be be interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to it. As someone who has been involved in the hobby for a long, long time, it's it's is one of those days that you look forward to. It's just you're like, oh, cool, Tops is released today, and it, it's fun to just casually break, even if it's a blaster box or a hobby box, and you know, kind of just revert back in time and just kind of see what the cards look like. Um, for me, I I collect the team sets ongoing project year after year so i look forward to things like that you know that's not something the new age uh investor kind of the new hobbyist is going to look at but like that is an aspect of the hobby that a lot of people look forward to 
you know, collecting team sets, just seeing what the new cards look like, even just flipping the back. And even though in today's world, you can just hit over to baseballreference.com and you can check on stuff like that. I mean, that's something that I think people really, really look forward to. And I think it's, uh, it's something that gets, is a bit of a lost art in today's, uh, in today's world now. So, you know, the hobby still has a lot of old school collectors, uh, for sure. And that's one of the appeals of a product like tops that you can actually at least afford. Right. Yeah, for sure. I know from my standpoint, I'll be scouring the depths of the internet for auction listings of some of Franco's short prints that I like, maybe the golds, the black parallels, some of the short prints, uh, image variations and such. So I'm excited for, to look out for those. Yeah, there'll be a there'll be a mad rush of that. I can't even imagine like some of the buy it now prices that Franco parallels will be listed at. Like, I can't. What, what do you think the initial? Just as a guess, what do you think like the initial initial ask prices will be on base cards and say something more common like the gold parallel numbered to twenty twenty two? Any any guess of what you can mm. even expect? Ooh, uh, putting me on the spot there. I, I, I think, so I think looking at Wanda Franco, sure, he's hyped. Sure, you can argue he's overhyped and he's going to have to do a lot in order to keep his prices steady. Never mind, get them to increase more. He is the only player that's debuted over the last few years that's able to be eventually on the same playing field as like a Soto, like to be up there with Tatis. Like Bichette doesn't have that that pedigree, that mold to be able to get there. So you have to give him some respect in that regard. So going back to like what Tatis, um, and even he took a while for his cards to kind of catch on because he was injured in that 2019 rookie season. But trying to think like, um, so I guess it's it's at debut, it's it's tough because it really hasn't been an example of a player that people have been so you know obsessed over. So we've I had mean, such do you a think, long time like, after Do you think debut, people right? will start listing them at 20 bucks, 15? I mean, obviously when products are released, you'll see the first few sell really high and then people start undercutting it. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of competition, a lot of people breaking it, a lot of people. Right. But I, like, I, I try to think, it, yeah. I, it's so, such a fine so line be- because Franco is the guy that you're going to have to use to get your money back on the product. Sure. There are a lot of people who build sets. You can sell team sets. You can sell inserts. Like all that stuff is desirable by certain collectors, but like Franco's the big guy. So it my, you have the people who go buy the blaster and they don't really care. And they're just buying it for fun. And then they just undercut. They don't really care. They might list it for five bucks or best offer and just whatever they sell it. Like it's, it's weird. I, I just, I really don't know what to expect. I don't know if it's going to be like a $10 card or a $20 card. I mean, I don't know, obviously, that that will continue long-term. Like, you should be able to get one, but... I think I think 20 to 25 is, um, is definitely within reach, even with the amount that they'll print, just because it'll take a while for that to fully come onto the market. I think, like, nicely, if people are smart, you know, they'll look out for maybe even base copies and send them to SGC and just look out for nicely centered versions because you got that full border. You're able to kind of see a little bit more about the full condition of the card from the picture on eBay, even if it's not a high def scan um, and, and if, or if it's taken from an angle, you can kind of have a better idea at the centering still with the border. 
Um, yeah, I, I try to compare it in my head to like Jason Dominguez and like what is Bowman Chrome first went for because he was super hyped from the get-go with that first card. And I think he was probably around at least 20 to $25 from the start. Uh, Wander Franco's Bowman was Bowman Chrome was selling for 20 bucks and his Bowman paper was about seven right out of the gate, but he didn't have the hype that he does today. Um, so it'll be interesting, but yeah, I think 20 to 30 bucks for base gold, uh, gold would, it, I think it's going to be over 200 bucks raw. I think it's, I think you're looking at 250 to 300 that puts like the lower level short prints still above maybe 200 in the 200 to 250 range. And then like a black parallel. So with, with Bichette and Jordan and Lux, uh, with the release of 2020 series one, I think they were selling for around 400 to 500 bucks with Wander. I think you could see, um, I think you could see 2000 um, with his raw black. I really and, do. And you are likely to have image variations and super short prints. They don't typically announce that till after release, but you can pretty much count on Franco having those parallels too. And they are uh, some of those SSPs. They uh, go for some big money. Right. Yeah. Those, those are tricky because then you're like, okay, you're trying to compare them apples to apples with like the previous year based on the different tiers of SP, SSP and SSSP. Right. But then in your head, you're like, well, what if there's a new tier and what if they printed more of each versus last year? So it's like really tough for the market to kind of adapt to that. Um, and then I think people get confused as to like which ones are shorter printed than the others, you know? And then if one has like, if the one that's more available has like a much superior image, and the one that's more rare, then they might that might close the gap a little bit. But I tend to, when there's a lot of uncertainty like that, I tend to avoid it because I think there's going to be some people that are going to be using bad assumptions in their, you know, in their appraisal logic of those cards and how much they're willing to pay, especially if it's one of the first ones out there on eBay. So I'll probably avoid the stuff with the unknown quantities just because um, I don't think there's uh, more uh, reward than risk there. Yeah, you have that with the uh, Andrew McCutcheon that was a very popular card a couple of years ago. Like, the one that goes for more is an SP, and the SSP doesn't go for as much because it's just not as cool of an image, I guess. But the thing is with those uh, image variations, set collectors still need them, and they do dry up a little bit. So it, it's tricky with some of the really big names, but... Usually, if you're picking some of the Hall of Fame caliber players up at affordable prices, you really can't go wrong with them. But, I mean, when Wander Franco SPs are going for $500, at something maybe I would be a little bit leery of. But we'll have to see yeah, what happens. It, it, it's going to be fun to it, see how it develops for sure. Yeah, yeah. A guy like, a guy like Juan Soto who only had like two variations. Like, you couldn't have went wrong, even if you didn't know what the the range of the print run was till years later and then on blowout people are speculating that like okay they probably printed about 300 of the gatorade bath but how do they know that for sure really and it took years for them to figure that out and it's taken the pop reports for the for that to like develop over time for that to even validate that 300s a, a viable range um and then you've got the hands on hips which has done well despite being printed a lot more of course just because he's got two image variations and because he's like you said hall of fame caliber but then we get where you get in trouble as a guy like louis louis robert you see he's got a bunch of variations i think that came out with series two as well as update and with otani um 
that that happened something similar happened to him in 2018 where he just had a ton of different image variations i feel um so with 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 franco where i'm trying to get to is what if there's additional short prints in update you know what if j-rod and wit and adley rushman for whatever reason don't make it an update so they have to kind of milk wander again and throw them into update with different variations then it's like you just get a watered down dilution effect which i think we saw with louise robert um just like a bunch of cars i wouldn't want to own because then not in, in addition to the dilution effect you've also got like a ton of competing images that a lot of people will just forget about years later like oh is that the short print period which one is that again which set was that from is that one more desirable than what was in the uh you know the series two for robert you know, you've, you've got a lot of that going on so i tend to I'll, I'll probably avoid the uh, the short prints with Wander, unless I can get one at a at a really low price point. Yeah, obviously, if you run into something at at a price point that works, got to jump on it. But there's just so much to collect in this set alone, and then you factor in the dozens upon dozens of products that will be released, and the fact that we still have 2021 products that will be released after this set. So that's just the state of the way things are going right now and the supply chain issues and all that. You kind of don't know what to expect. Like, will Topps Chrome really come out in August? Or will it come out far later? It's kind of a who-knows situation. I know some of the 2022 products, I believe, have already been pushed back a little bit. I know, uh, I believe Heritage is supposed to come out March 2nd now. So that'll probably be the next product after this and then opening day but tops big league 2021 still on sleep for march as well so <laughs> that the the hobby's still a little nutty and crazy and i guess it'll take a while before things get back to normal if they ever do yeah yeah i mean at least um at least with tops it seems like they have a history of staying on schedule a little bit better with their releases and the releases come out on like when they should where with football and basketball, a lot of the major products are released after the, the season ends. Um, it's a little bit different. I think what helps there is that tops uh, baseball does have Bowman. So they're able to put out, you know, licensed minor league cards that actually hold value <laughs> that you can collect before the player gets called up when the player gets called up and afterwards um, that certainly helps kind of, hold people over till, you know, tops as they usually do hold out the rookies till months and months later after the release. And I'm sure Bowman, the Bowman release, I'm sure will be pretty popular this year with all the prospects, the number of prospects that we could see uh, potentially coming up in 2022. Should things progress properly? I've also heard good things about 2022 Bowman draft. I was talking to my uh, friend, and resource Mike Rathburn he was talking about how he thinks that there's going to be at least three players in that product that might carry more hype than Marcelo Mayer and perhaps anyone from 2020 Bowman draft as well um Andrew Jones his son who's basically a carbon copy of him is going to be in that product as well as a guy named Tamar Johnson who's sort of like profiles to be a Robinson Cano type as well as Elijah Green who is sort of like a, a, a massive power hitter kind of like Eloy Judge or Stanton so in addition to that, you know, if if the uh, opening day was a start, start on schedule, then there would be a chance where Series 2 could have potentially Witt, Riley Green, Torkelson, Rushman, as well as J-Rod. But like looking at what's happened over the last couple of years where 
if you don't remember, um, Jonathan India, Andrew Vaughn, and I think um, Akil Badu, they all made the opening day roster, but they were sort of like late surprises because they had really nice springs or because team dynamics changed, whatever. They ended up making the uh, the roster, but it wasn't really a given until at least halfway through March that, the March that that was going to happen. Well, those guys, even though they made the opening day roster, they all still missed Series 2. Some some of them might have made it into Topps Chrome as autographs. I forget exactly who made it and who, who did not. Uh, but certainly base card-wise, I don't think they made it into Topps Chrome either, or most of them at least didn't. So then you you look at this year and a season where opening day will probably be delayed. If not, then spring training will likely be shortened um, and pushed back a little bit. Uh, and Tops apparently likes to start printing series two in a normal year and probably March. So what are the chances that like a lot of the great prospects that we're seeing, you know, that we're expecting to get called up in 2022, what are the chances that those guys actually make it into series two, even if they're on the MLB roster for the first day of the season. Um, and, and again, that, 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 that could be late March, early, early April, whenever opening day is, but likely uh, I, I think um, it'll probably get pushed back a little bit, if not a lot of it. <laughs> and, um, and then you start to think of, well, hopefully they make it into update, right? So at that point, update could be pretty solid. Um, assuming a season is played, <laughs> um, assuming that these guys still, you know, debut soon enough for them to make it an update. And you start to look at what happened in 2020 with the COVID shortened season and how bad the update checklist was. Uh, but uh, at least we've got Wander. At least we've got Wander for top series one. We've got him for tops Chrome. We've got him for tops Chrome Sapphire tops finest and uh, stadium club and all the other great tops products. Sound like you uh, might have been hired by Tops to start promoting their products. <laughs> no, I I do. Uh, I agree. Some of the top rookies for 2022, I would think, are more likely for an update than a Series 2. Uh, just because of the state of the way they produce things earlier and earlier. I mean, if you look at like the history of Tops update, I mean, it really, when it started to be released it was tops trade it and rookies tops trade it and like now the guys who are traded at the d deadline like if a guy's moved on july 31st oftentimes they are not actually in tops update they'll be in maybe some other later lease releasing products they just they don't get those flagship cards they're more likely to be in the following year's series one and that's just kind of the way things, I guess, have developed with them trying to get these products uh, produced, finalized. You know, there's a lot of approval that goes on the manufacturing, putting the set, putting them together and stuff. So I know we constantly have it where people in the hobby just expect things. They expect that instant kind of gratification. I Maybe it's things like Tops Now that are produced on demand and they'll announce the card like the following day after an event or a call up or a trade and then it's released you know printed and released in a couple weeks but i it seems like year after year it's like oh franco's gonna be in 2021 update and then no he's gonna be in 2022 so we'll see what how some of the uh that affects but right now the focus is on Wander, and it's on 2022 Tops Series 1. Before we wrap things up, Phil, uh, Juan Soto. What are your thoughts on Juan Soto? I mean, I know he's a fantastic player, really, really good, but is he starting to get – is he pushing the line for, like, overhyped? Are people beginning to expect too much? Like, I get he's young. 
I think he's someone who has that ability uh, to have a lengthy Hall of Fame career. But he's still, he's played, what, three years? Really only a couple full years. And I think he's fantastic. I think he's, I think the world of him as a player, I get to see him play a lot, playing in the Phillies division with the Nationals. But I feel like I've seen his hobby-wise, his hype, kind of shift to an all-new level in the last few weeks. Now, we're friends with some some big-time Soto guys, so maybe that is distorting my perception, but I just I feel like I see it just a crazy amount on social media, whether it's Twitter, YouTube, Insta, like the Soto narrative being just pushed like crazy. So any any thoughts on that level, or is it all just completely uh, yeah. justified? So, you know... Yeah, as, as you know, I'm a pretty big fan of Juan Soto. Um, but having said that, and I actually talked about this in a recent buy, sell, hold video, I think he's gotten too expensive relative to where he should be compared to some other younger players. Compared to, for a while, he was selling for 30% of Trout. If you were to look at his Bowman Chrome autograph stuff, I think that was probably a little too high. <laughs> and since then, that has adjusted a little bit. And some other players like Acuna and Tatis probably have caught up a little bit. But this is a guy who's played in actually, well, four different seasons now. Now, I think three of those were, or two of those were fragments of seasons, but he's only put up 30 home runs once. He's got average speed. He's playing average defense. You might argue that he's gotten better at defense, but he's still an average defender. He does have the capability of putting up a six and a half to seven war, which is very, very good. For him to do that, though, he's got to do it with his bat. He's got to have a well above average, if not exceptional, exceptional on base percentage. He's got to keep those walk rates sky high. He's got to keep that batting average at or above 310. He's got to hit at least 29 home runs. Um, again, this is a guy that's hit 30 home runs only once. So is he in his prime yet? Probably not. Will he get better? Probably. Will his defense improve significantly? Maybe. I'd probably bet against that. The offense, though, will he make changes to his launch angle to hit 35-plus home runs consistently? I think that that is his the, the, the path of least resistance for him to become a generational stud and separate himself from the field of Tatis and Acuna. But, I mean, if you looked at the hierarchy, the perceived hierarchy of Acuna, Soto, and Tatis a year ago or two years ago, it was a lot less clear. And now I think people have put Soto at the top at least based on where the prices sell. Even given that he's got fewer rookie cards, I still think people prefer Soto over Acuna and Tatis, all else equal, if they did have the same number of rookie cards. It's tough to do apples-to-apples apples comparisons there, but if, 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 if people, people should step back a little bit and remember, I believe it was the 2021 preseason where MLB ownership was surveyed across the board who would they rather have to start a franchise, Tatis, Acuna, or Soto? And Soto was third, and third by a lot. I believe Tatis was one, Acuna was two, and Soto was a distant third. So what what's changed since then? Is it Acuna, maybe lack of focus, um, his ability to stay healthy, even though it was kind of a freak injury? Is it is it Tatis's shoulder? Is it his defense? He made a lot of throwing errors, or were a lot of those really mental errors that he can he can fix? What did show? Did Soto really show you something that he hadn't shown you yet? Um, you know, he had kind of a for him an average to below average April and May, 
and then he really tore, he really turned it up for the last four months of the season. But, you know, is that really any different than what we already thought of him already? Um, and then if you're going to compare him to Trout, this is where it's really tough um, to, to kind of sell, to, sell Soto and to kind of argue that there's a good value proposition with his current price points in the hobby. If you're to compare Trout's first three years or X amount of initial plate appearances, say it's 1,200 or 1,500 plate appearances because, you know, Soto um, might have had a different number of plate appearances, even though 2011 for Trout, that was uh, that was a late call-up for him. So he had a shortened year in 2011. But if you are to compare their first three years, and I've seen this across Acuna, Soto, and Trout, and the plate appearances were kind of in the ballpark, um, Soto's war and Acuna's war was, it was more than half of Trout's, but it was a lot closer to half than Trout's actual war. I think Trout had like around a 21, 20 to 21 war in his first three seasons. I forget if this is fan graphs or baseball reference, uh, but but Acuna and, and Soto were closer to 11 or 12, I believe. Um, so that's where the comparisons get tough. And that's where like selling already for about 30% of Trout, it, I don't know how sustainable that is, given that they it's going to be hard for them. Granted, we don't know what Trout's going to do in the second half of his career, but we can't just assume now that Soto and Acuna will be better in their thirties than Trout. Um, just Trout had, had, he just played at a peak for such a long time. I mean, seven top two MVP finishes, you know, how hard it is to win an MVP, especially in a stacked league. It's going to be tough. You've got Harper who has like a tremendous season every three years. You've got Mookie Betts who's exceptional, exceptional in every even year. You've got guys like Freddie Freeman. Um, not to mention, the three young studs, Tatis, Soto, and Acuna. How can any one of those guys win three MVPs, even if they were to switch leagues? It's tough. I mean, I think one of the reasons why Trout's been able to win so many, like versus other guys in previous generations, is because of the movement to war has reduced luck from the equation. So where the, the RBI leader year over year could change just based on, you know, Average with runners in scoring position, you could argue that that's a skill and not luck. Um, the amount of opportunities you have with players on, on base in front of you, like RBIs is more likely to fluctuate. War is more likely to stay constant. So it's truly taking it's truly taking the luck out of the equation, or at least it's attempting to, and get you to that most skilled player. Um, the walk rate, you know, the home run rate, the batting average, if all that stuff stays at a high level, then you're going to be you know top three, top two, MVP year over year. Um, but with Mike Trout, he was an above average base runner. He stole 40 plus bases a few years, I believe. Uh, he was also an above average defender for a while. A lot of people forget that. Soto's, there's a lot that's required of him. And he, he really does. <laughs> Mike Trout had nine plus war seasons. Uh, Soto, in order for him to get to nine plus war, he's going to have to do crazy stuff. He's going to have to improve his defense. He's going to have to start hitting 40 home runs, never mind 35. I just don't know if he can do that, you know, one or two years in a row, never mind what Trout's been doing, uh, barring, you know, some injuries. He's been able to play at that high level, extrapolate those stats into a full season, and you get him at nine war, it seems like, every single year. Um, Soto's got some improvements to make for sure. 
and his profile isn't as well-rounded as some of the other guys that are right now not as desirable as Soto, being Tatis, being Acuna. And he's a wonderful player, but it's just really hard to live up to expectations, and it's really difficult for any player. Um, and then when you kind of start to become almost, in a way, the face of the modern baseball market to a degree, I feel like it's just it's setting it's setting up for a difficult situation hobby wise. Not even talking about on field performance, but you really can look back and look at some of the previous draft picks or or rookie players who are still like playing well, but if you catch too much hype, it's hard to ever live up to those expectations. And you mentioned Bryce Harper before, and I feel like that's one of those situations. He was so hyped and he's had a really good career. He he's set himself up career wise to have an opportunity to potentially be a Hall of Fame player. He's won two MVPs, but he's still he's like a second tier guy in the hobby, it seems. He's not one of the elite guys everyone's chasing. Now a lot of people mention him as, you know, a good value buy and this and that, but it's it's pretty difficult to live up to really lofty expectations. Right. Yeah, that, that that's a great reference there with Harper because like what does he really need to do? Like does he need to win a third in order to like get even close to where Trout's selling for? And Trout's and Trout's probably selling ten to fifteen times higher than than Harper and Betts right now. Um so what do those guys need to do to crack into that echelon? Um in in for Soto and Acuna, maybe Maybe Betts and Harper are better benchmarks for them, or more realistic at least at this point. It's one of the many aspects of the hobby and the sport that, you know, it's just fun to kind of look at and debate and kind of think about how things will develop. And, you know, I think uh, in in today's hobby world, social media, like everyone looks at like investing as like that quick flip, all that type of stuff. But I think what it was before that was – just kind of sometimes, even if it's for your own personal collection, the satisfaction of getting in early, kind of being being right, uh, picking the right players, and some of that can be a lot of fun. And just now there's so much influence and pushing markets so high, and sometimes it can just get a little overstated with some players. So I guess that was my whole kind of just bringing up Soto only because I've seen just an unbelievable amount of people talking about him. And you see some of these base cards and, you know, not even like the rare rookies, but just second year, like inserts. All of a sudden I see them. They were like $3 cards suddenly going for like 20, 30 bucks. And like, I don't, what's going on. Cause it's, you don't see it among all the different players. I just have specifically seen it with him. So just wanted to get right. your uh, get your take there, Phil. And you yeah, so provided it pretty well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm actually uh, the last part about Soto. I'm actually in a uh, Instagram chat, and hope, hopefully some of these guys don't uh, don't listen to you or, or uh, will find this based on a search. So don't put like Juan Soto as a key term or anything um, in the uh, the tags or whatever. They we'll call put them, it. But... We'll title it all about Soto. Yeah. 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 I, I can just tell from talking to them like, oh, man, it's it's a seller's market for Soto right now. They're all they all think that, you know, the prices will continue to increase once spring training comes. It's like, well, kind of technically already here. I mean, we're in February, but 
uh, they just anticipate like just a linear increase and that things will only get more and more unaffordable. They're, they're forgetting that like, well, the performance on the field matters. And in order for Soto to justify his current place in the hobby, which is, well, second or third most expensive if you're to like not factor in like Albert Pujols, like maybe Otani's number two, depending on which cards you look at, whatever. Uh, but um, Soto's got to like accomplish great things, you know? He's got to be like in the headlines like he was in the second half of the season. Like if we start to see first half Soto again, if we see first half of 2021 or 2019 Soto, if we see that in 2022, that's that's not going to be good for his prices. That's not going to be good for the prospects of his second, third, fourth year cards, regardless of how rare they are, maintaining value. No, those cards won't get more scarce. They'll get more available. <laughs> and um, the hobby will shift to somebody else. You know, it, it's tough. It's tough to be on top. As Tupac once said, when you're on top, right, there's only one place to go. That's not higher. <laughs> For sure. All right, before before we wrap things up, uh, just real quick, any uh, players you like as uh, potential bounce-back candidates, guys whose hobby is down quite a bit, maybe they've been overshadowed, but you think they can bounce back on the field and therefore get a hobby bounce back to some degree. You know, we're not talking about maybe levels of 2020 when everyone was sky high, but guys that you can maybe pick up right now at a fairly affordable price, whether it's graded or raw and you can see their prices doubling up or maybe increasing by 30%. You know, a guy like Bo Bichette who granted there's a lot of his cards and maybe the pops are high and stuff's flooding in from PSA, but if you can buy rookie cards graded for like 20 bucks, PSA 10s, and that's just kind of a quick example, someone you could throw out there. I know you mentioned them earlier, but any players that stick out to you? Um, I, I used to be more into like the deep sleepers. And then I realized like, you know, fantasy baseball can often like, it can, it can often mess up your investment approach to sports cards because people aren't, there's not enough room for everybody. You know, this isn't fantasy baseball where everybody has a 25 man roster. Um, and you can find great value, you know, in, in the 18th or 19th round, this is a hobby, um, that, you know, there's already, there's already a ton of people's money going towards prospects. And if you're not in like the top 20 or top 25, of most relevant active players in the moment, it's, it's, the upside is really limited. There's a ceiling there for somebody like Kyle Tucker who's already 25, somebody like Eli Jimenez, uh, who just missed a bunch of time with injury this past year. It, it's uh, the, the window is just small for them to get up to that like relevant status. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe Devers and Bichette and Kyle Tucker, if they continue to do what they're doing, eventually they'll get more notice in the hobby. That could take years uh, for Luis Robert. It's interesting because he's of all those players, he's got the um, um, the 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 lowest number of at bats, like plate appearances. I don't know; he doesn't even have like a full season's worth of major league plate appearances yet. So I think it's this year is important for him. He has the potential to ascend, probably higher than a lot of those guys, but also fall a lot harder than the Bichette and the Devers that have like at least two or three years of a base track record. Um, but, uh, Mookie Betts is a guy that I kind of like. So again, like away from like the super deep sleeper theme, uh, Betts, I think people have forgotten how good he is. You know, he was firmly entrenched as like the number two best player in the game for a while. 
Um, granted, that could change with some of these newer guys coming up and developing and, and finally reaching their primes. I'd like to tease Acuna and Soto, but Betts is a guy that um, he put a, he put like a close to four WAR season together and with limited at bats, and he was banged up and he had what a lot of people said was a bad year. But for most players, that would have been a still a pretty solid year. Uh, he does have the ability to still contribute defensively, um, above average speed, and um, yeah, he's a great hitter in a good situation in L.A., great market there. So he's one guy I think is maybe a little bit cheap right now. I'm not going nuts on him. Um, Acuna is, is one that I think is finally, like, just based on what I'm noticing anecdotally through Facebook searches and what's coming up on my feed. More and more people are asking about him and less about Soto because I think they realize the gap is just, just too much. Uh, so that, that's, that's a guy that I'm certainly holding right now. So I've, I've got a bunch of his stuff. Uh, other than that, you know, you want to go like off the grid a little bit, even though he is arguably, uh, the, the best pitcher in the game, Jacob DeGrom, a, a lot of people forgot about him and his stuff really has tanked quite a bit. Uh, what if he is to, to come back and win his, his third Cy Young, um, and just what a couple two or three more above average seasons, then he's a hall of famer guaranteed. Um, he's still got a lot of mileage probably in his arms in his arm because he came up as a shortstop. Uh, other than that, I can't really think of anybody that, that really stands out. You know, if we were to go with like some super deep sleepers, then I probably have a few more names, but I just don't want to give anybody bad ideas. That'll get them broke. You know what I mean? So you're trying to avoid the Louisa rise, Ketel Marte <laughs> catastrophe of a few years ago. 100%, man. 100%. I still have one Marte, actually a couple Marte cards. Um, hopefully he stays healthy the next time he plays. Well, health is that factor that a lot of people just, they don't really factor in, I don't think, when you're looking at the modern players and you're looking at young players, and it it plays a big role. I mean, look at Ronald Acuna. I, one freak play, and you end up missing a half a season or maybe a little bit more than that and end up missing a postseason run. I mean, I can't even imagine if he were if he were healthy and, you know, obviously you don't know how things would develop and they wouldn't have made acquisitions, but to have the highlight of playing in the World Series, maybe performing, maybe he's at the top of the game, but who knows? We'll see what happens. To close things out, just – uh State of baseball cards right now. You think we're in a in a good spot? Are we in a bad spot, or is it a mix of everything? From my standpoint, I think we're in a we're in an okay spot. Uh, the Fanatics acquisition should at least make things more interesting. If not this year, as you mentioned, it was, it's still very fresh. Uh, years to come. Um, I think, you know, I feel very confident about relative to some of the Panini brands that at least we'll have you know, an extension of the Topps legacy, history, uh, continuation of brands and designs. That That's that's huge for baseball. I think that's huge for Topps. Now, if I was in a similar place where I had a 70% allocation of all my wax to Panini and not Topps, then I would probably feel a little bit different right now. Um, might not be freaking out yet, but I would just feel a little bit different. So, but but back with regards to just baseball cards uh i think that in quarter three or quarter four whenever psa is projected to get through that that backlog of what is now what like six million cards still i think that will help um the hobby continue to grow 
I don't know if that's going to return the value of base cards. I don't know if or when that that will happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of, let's call them like less investment grade or less meaningful ultra modern cards continue to slip in value. So for me, one of the things I'm, I've been doing is whenever I get an order back from PSA, pretty much everything that's not serial numbered, I'll just put for auction immediately. You know, knowing I can get a little bit more money on Facebook, I don't care. Like, regardless of the player, like if it's like a, a second year Juan Soto card or a Bo Bichette rookie, and I think that like Bichette's like a fine hold. If it's a Topps Chrome Refractor, it's not numbered. It's not really a card I'm interested in holding on to. So that kind of, that's kind of a testament to what I, how I feel about like still certain cards. I still think that there's some helium in certain cards and they could continue to fall. But, you know, from my standpoint, for the first time in a while, the hobby's not on an upward trajectory. It's not, you know, crashing. I think that we're pretty level and we have been for at least a few months. And I think that's good for me. That makes me want to make more content. Uh, usually I get preoccupied with buying or selling if, if, if the hobby is in one of those kind of trajectories where I kind of, I don't want to miss opportunities on the upswing or the downswing selling or buying. Uh, but I think, I think flat is a good place to be because I think it makes, it's going to make wax more affordable especially before PSA re reopens up value levels. I think wax will be very affordable even past that, you know, if they increase print runs like they should. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, retail being back on the shelves, I think ultimately that's a good thing. You know, the, the flipper side of me doesn't like that as much, but you know, that's what the hobby products are for or previous years worth of retail. Uh, you don't need to be making profit on every single product. And you have to understand that, that's how the hobby will grow by getting cards in front of, you know, as many people as possible and in as many locations as possible in many countries as possible. So I understand that, um, you know, I think we've seen over the last, we haven't talked about it a lot, but like the high end segment of the market, that's been very, very strong. Uh, the card ladder high end index, which I think the average value of cards in there, I'm not sure. I think median average value might be around like 4,500, 5,000. And we've got, they've got some stuff in there that's probably over, 10 or 15,000, but the, the high end segment of the market, maybe that's not even a great index to represent that. Um, or we'll, let's call it the ultra high end segment of the market. The stuff that's 15 to $20,000 and above that's been very, very strong. Um, I don't know if like broader macroeconomic stuff that's going on will disrupt that. I don't think I, I understand that the, the card market and the, the stock market aren't tightly correlated. I think the, the, the card market is probably more correlated with fine art or other commodities, but I still think that there could be a, um, some sort of a, a ripple effect on the high-end market. I don't think the high-end market's um, immune, and I don't think the vintage market's immune to macroeconomic events going on and say like a, a, um, a broad, a broad scale, like crash across all markets or across like the capital markets. That's something to definitely look into um, or, or, or keep an eye out for. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the lower end market, um, even if singles do slip a little bit further, I, I think that's I think that's probably fine. I think it's just part of like a, a larger overall reset and something that we had to get to eventually anyways, especially with PSA's grading costs being as low as they were heading into what, 2020, eight or nine dollars a card. I thought that was way too low. And I knew this was going to come eventually. And I'm just glad that the hobby's has survived it. Well, there's no doubt that if we go through just a flat, stable 
period of time, that's a good thing because the hobby is continuing to grow. I just actually talked to someone I worked with a few years ago who randomly called me and we were talking like in the last six months have, has gotten involved in the hobby. So it, it is still growing. Um, so I, I think that's a good thing. More and more people getting involved and sticking around. Uh, you're, you're always going to have people jump in and take advantage of a market that is just continuously climbing. Those people are going to jump in and then jump right out. And if a market is continuing continuously falling, of course, you're going to have people who, you know, jump off as well and maybe make a bad situation worse. So I think the stability is a good thing. Just hopefully baseball wise things, uh, labor wise get worked out sooner rather than later. Hopefully guys are back on the field and that's good and bad for some players. It's good because some guys will have incredible years and their hobby values will rise and other players may sustain injuries or have really poor performance and their values will drop, but that's all part of it. I'd rather see games than not. Phil, I appreciate you joining me. Those listening, if you're listening on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, any of the different apps you can use to listen to podcasts, please follow. Head over to YouTube, check out Filmington, check out his channel, check out the Rookie Card Explosion Box. If you are watching this, listening to it on YouTube, feel free to post some comments down below. Definitely appreciate hearing your thoughts. Phil, once again, thank you for joining me on Hobby Talk. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Have a great one, everyone.